can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, Victor Davis Hanson, the star, and the namesake is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor's official home on the World Wide Web's is victorhanson.com. You should be subscribing to that, and I'll tell you more about that later. Also, this podcast its formal home is John Solomon's justthenews.com. You should check that out every once in a while. Hey, we've got any number of things to talk about, cultural stuff, particular, particularly, if I could speak correctly, language. Some, you know, There's always new language and sanity being dropped on our head by the left every week. There's some dem, uh, demographic uh, topics worth discussing. Scott Gottlieb. You know, remember the old FDA commissioner who's, who's on the board of Pfizer, who's who those Twitter files uh, when they were exposed show shows uh, something worth discussing, Mister Got- Doctor Gottlieb about. You know, there's an unfinished piece of business from the last podcast Victor and I uh, re- recorded, and we we had talked about um, Adam Schiff and his departure from the intelligence committee and his lying and what what those same Twitter files showed about him. And you know who um, has been proven right consistently um, from the beginning of these fiascos was the former Congressman Devin Nunes, who, who, by the way, was attacked by many on the right. Very few, if any, Victor, who I think have come around to say, you know what, We, we were wrong on that. And Let's start off the show by getting your thoughts, Victor, uh, quick thoughts on uh, uh, Devin Nunes proven right. We'll get to that right after these important messages. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, I know Devin... uh... Nunez, it's regardless that he's a pal, or you know, I know he lives near you. You've known him for quite a while, but man, oh man, he he really did uh, stand up for what's right. Was vilified for it, vilified by people on our side of the aisle, and uh, has I, I don't I don't recall that any of them have publicly admitted. You know what? Uh, I really mistreated this guy in public, and he was right, and I was wrong. Yeah, I don't hear that from many people. Well, you should, everybody should just remember when Devin came into national prominence. A couple of things remember, though, he had been in the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and had warned about that the level of Russian hacking after the collapse of reset had increased. I think people forget that Obama was. Pretty much after he did the tell Vladimir, give me some space. And then Vladimir took advantage of him and went in. You remember that into Ukraine and Crimea in 2014. They shot down the airliner. I think they had remember they took the Russian jets and they buzzed an American destroyer. They were taking Obama to the cleaners and then they were hacking. And he was a voice in the wilderness and warned everybody that Russia was getting very aggressive and starting to uh, hack. Uh, during the elections, and nobody listened to him. So he had these sterling credentials of being anti-Putin. So then he comes along, and he discovers in the course of his uh, chairmanship that these people are uh, peddling this Steele dossier, and he didn't understand what the FBI was doing. And then as he started to uncover brick by brick this edifice of deceit, he he said things that were extraordinary, that not only was the dossier um, fallacious, but the FBI, through James Baker and others, were promulgating it. And were still, they were paying for it as they were hiring uh, Christopher Steele was an informant or contractor, and he was being paid by Hillary Clinton as well. In other words, she was, and that just set off a storm. And this was the time when they were saying that Donald, when he did Donald Trump, uh, he just said, well, maybe Vladimir Putin can find Hillary's emails, meaning that she was so insecure. I mean, unsecure about the usage of it that he would. It was a joke, but they thought that that was a time. And to go back to revisit that era of madness. This is a period, Jack, when James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, was saying that Donald Trump was what a Russian asset. And people like Max Boot were writing articles that he should be um, arrested. I think David French wrote something in National Review that Devin Nunes should resign from the House Intelligence Committee. 
He and, did indeed. Yeah, I was walking down. I would drive down the 99, and here's a picture of Devin Nunes next to Putin, Putin's puppet. Adam Schiff was, uh, and he had the accurate, prescient, I think, um, he had a wonderful staff, uh, Devin did, and they had the majority report about the dossier and Russian fake collusion, and it was accurate, and it's held up perfectly, and it was damned by the New York Times, all these people, and then the minority port, report by Schiff was just a pack of lies. Everybody knows that. It's been, nobody claims that they all agree with that. Even the left now agrees with it. They agree that Christopher Steele most, mostly made it up. They agree that Christopher Steele uh, used this Dolan guy who was a Clinton flack and the guy at the Chashinko, is that his name? The guy at the Brookings Institute. And they agree that Hillary paid them. They agree that Kleinsmith altered a document. They concede that the laptop was uh, authentic. Everything he said has been authenticated. And what did he get out of it? I mean, they filed an ethics complaint, the left did, to get him out. And then they were supposed to examine both, I think, Schiff and he, or a Democratic counterpart and he. And, of course, the Republicans played fair and said, no, there was no complaint. And the Democrats sort of broke their deal and and said they had to, to look at this and would not exonerate him immediately. And he was off the chairmanship for eight or nine crucial months. That was all by intent. I must say that although he was very loyal and supportive of Paul Ryan, I wasn't. I thought that was terrible that Paul Ryan allowed that to happen. As Speaker of the House, he could have stopped that. Right. But uh, the point is that um, everything he said was accurate. He got no money. He's not a lobbyist. He works for Truth Social now uh, for the, the Trump company, but I, I just didn't understand the hatred. I had him up to uh, address in 2014 the Military History Working Group, and they were very impressed with him. Uh, people who were who would later be never Trump or anti-Trump. There were there was people in the group. It's it's bipartisan that were Democrat. Everybody thought he gave a very chilling analysis of the threat of Putin, and then all of a sudden. You know, he was toxic. These same people were damning him. And it was kind of like it was uh, a larger version of what happened to Scott Atlas. Anytime I see that, it just makes me enraged. These cowardly people who come out of the woodwork to trash somebody they think is helpless or is not going to be able to retaliate. And they pile on and they lie. And then when they lose and the person they attacked is innocent or exonerated, then they either shut up or they fade into the woodwork, but they'll come back again. They're the worst kind of people, and that's that's who went after both Scott and, and Devin. They've never apologized. They did a lot of damage to them. And although I'm very happy that he's uh, doing what he wants with social media, my God, they could use him right now as head of the Ways and Means Committee. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Gosh, oh. if you, he, he under, nobody understands the mind of the left, how it operates and manifests itself in Washington like he does. And he's absolutely fearless, fearless. So well, his, that's his, that was sad. You know, his, as we talked about just now, you talked about in previous previous podcasts is uh, his uh, great tormentor. Um, uh, Adam Schiff has been exposed in these <laughs> Twitter files of, of, of 
uh, trying to suppress and, and attack certain members of the media. And Schiff wasn't the only one uh, engaging in that, Victor. And uh, Scott Gottlieb has been has been uncovered. It's been uncovered of him doing that. So Scott Gottlieb, to remind everyone, he's Republican. He was Trump's um, Boone Drug Administration secretary. He he was very much prominent person during the whole uh, uh, COVID uh, fiasco or development of of the of the um, vaccine. He's a board member of Pfizer, and and um, Alex wasn't he uh, at the Barrett's, AEI too? AEI. He was. He he not only was at AEI. I think he's still at AEI. And AEI is the yeah. American Enterprise Institute. Yes. Um, yeah, so so the, this these uh, documents that that Elon Musk has allowed to be uh, released show that uh, he. So I'm, I'm, I have my notes here that that uh, Gottlieb tried to get Twitter to suppress an, another doctor, uh, Doctor Brett Girard. I don't know that I'm pronouncing it correct. G I R O I R, who I believe was also a Trump administration official who yeah, was discussing the superiority of natural immunity uh to the to a vaccine and and Gottlieb I mean talk about <laughs> covering your your ass and your wallet at the same time demanded that, that Twitter suppress this guy because he was saying something corrosive it's just another part and parcel of everything that went on during that lockdown and Fauci and the others suppressing any kind of I don't even call it dissent it's fact it's truth it's it's another opinion but it had to be suppressed it's, and Scott Gottlieb so, was part of it yeah I mean we're never ever going to clean this government up unless we take some bold steps and one of them is to, if you work for the FDA, like Gottlieb, or you are the CDC or the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, then you should be barred uh, for five years of participating in any pharmaceutical board. Just like if you're, if you work for the Pentagon, i.e., you're a gen, a four star, three star general, and you retire out, or you're Secretary of Defense, and you go in to a defense board contractor, which is paying you a huge amount of money to leverage your knowledge of Pentagon machinations, how it works. You can't do that. And then we need to also, in addition to that, they, these, these, uh, they have too much control over the research field. In other words, Anthony Fauci had his hands on $50 billion of research. And Sammy and I discussed that. So if you were in a lab, you could not do research in the United States. You could not get tenure uh, uh, as a medical professional unless you had a CDC, NIH, some type of federal health grant. That was both a, a, a stamp that you were legitimate and, and a stamp that you had funding. And yet that was all politicized. Nobody was going to criticize Fauci. Because they did, they knew that one of his underlings would pull the grant. And the same thing is true about all of this uh, research in the pharmaceutical and the regulations. So they, they've got to break it up and it has to have oversight so that we don't have these Gottlieb or Francis Collins or Anthony Fauci should not have that much power. 
They have way too much power. There should be a board of oversight and those bureaucracies and their positions should be divided up among five or six people. And then they should not be allowed to have any board membership until at least 10 years after they're out. And then you would attract people who were in it for different reasons than what they're in it for. They did a lot of damage. They really did. And uh, yeah. they said things that were contrary. You know, it's kind of like the never Trumpers in a way that the never Trumpers decided in the year of our Lord, 2015 and 2016, that given the hatred and venom and frenzy of that um, and animus they had toward Donald Trump, they renounced their whole life's work, all of their life's work. Uh, abortion? Ah, well, now I, I look back at my life and I was a little bit too too much pro-life. Affirmative action? I guess I was kind of racist myself. Oh, taxes? Oh, they're not that bad. They just renounced everything they they. Yeah. They Israel, for. yeah, Israel. They raised capital. money for. <laughs> yeah, and they did. And the same thing. It, it's the same thing about these people. They, they just renounced everything that they supposedly stood for. And I don't, uh, you know what I mean. They told us that herd immunity their whole lives. They told us that herd immunity was superior to vaccinations. They told us for years that you had to be very careful and have. Uh, very careful controls over vaccination testing, and it was it was a very long, dried out, long drawn out um, process. They told us that, unfortunately, that lockdowns had never had a history of working. They wish they did, but they didn't. They told us that masking uh, was only valuable if it was an N95 mask. And you were right next to somebody who was, you know, I can see that in close quarters, but otherwise, you know. It was of no value, especially with little kids that weren't prone to get seriously ill from COVID. So then they renounced all that. They just renounced it all. And all of a sudden, everybody had to be masked and everybody had to be locked down. And the boosters and the vaccinations and the extra, they were all perfectly safe. And they were ironclad protection. Don't worry about anybody else. Uh, you're protected and you can't infect and you cannot be. Everything they said was a lie. So they get, they destroyed their reputation. I don't know what they, they were. They wanted to monetize their careers, or they they were into power hungry, or they were narcissistic megalomania. I don't know what it was, but boy, one thing we learned over the last dreadful five years, if you look at it in retrospect, think of the names. If I just throw out some names: John Brennan, James Clapper. Robert Mueller, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Christopher Ray, Anthony Fauci, Frank Francis Collins, and on and on. What do they all have in common? They either have lied, or they profited uh, wrongly from their position, or they, or Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, they broke the law, or they were unethical, and they were all smug, and they had these government jobs that gave them judge, jury, and executioner power over the rest of us. I don't know how we ever get our freedom back. I kind of wrote it. That's why that was the reason I wrote The Dying Citizen, because I had that chapter on the unelected, which is kind of the center of the book. I don't know how you get it back from them. I've thought and thought, what do you do? Do you tell people, you know, FBI goes to Kansas City, Department of Ag goes to Houston, Department of Energy goes to Baton Rouge. I don't know what you do. you got to break up that Washington nexus somehow. 
and you have to have oversight and you have to have strict ethic rules and et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. But I don't see. Yeah. Unless you have a Congress that's going to uh, empower Congress to make the laws and not delegate to uh, empower bureaucrats. Are, the conservatives have been very bewildered. They have. I, I talked to them and I have that way myself. It's all of a sudden you woke up and you thought, wow. I, I so strongly supported this Central Intelligence Agency. Wow. I always defended the FBI from attacks from the left. Wow. I always defended the Pentagon and our, our generals from unfair. I mean, I wrote columns all during the Trump period when when we nominated, you know, Kelly and McMaster and Flynn and Mattis. And everybody said we have too many generals. Remember the left said that? Right. Generals. And I, I, right. I, wrote, I think I wrote three op-eds. And then when I look at what McCaffrey said, or I look what McRaven said, or uh, Hayden said, you know, I mean, I don't mean just said, I mean, said that the president was Mussolini, or he was, a, you know, or his policies were like Auschwitz, or he was Nazi-like. I couldn't believe it. And so I think all of us looked at this, and when you saw what James Comey was doing, and leaking private confidential memos with the President of the United States, feigning amnesia 245 times, Robert Mueller, the pawn of this Weissman character, just completely incompetent, lying under oath that he didn't know what the Steele dossier was or GPS, Andrew McCabe proudly lying four times to a federal investigator, Bill Barr letting him off. Um, it's like these disclosures of classified information. We put people in jail. Remember that guy who took a picture, I think, to his girlfriend or wife of a submarine? And yeah. they really threw the book at him. And there was another person just the other day they put in three months right. jail. Right. Well, it matters who you are, right? I mean, it Sandy, Sandy uh, whatever, God rest but his soul, it's, it's I know he did. But... I think they control our elected officials. I don't think the elected officials can c- control them. When they get in there, and they start to question this unelected Christopher Ray, and he just says, basically, screw you. I'm going to get in my FBI jet, and I'm going to fly to my uh, vacation home. I can't put up with this. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but that's what he did. And yeah. then Fauci just says, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember. So does Comey. They just insult people's intelligence. Rand Paul is an MD. He had some good questions for Fauci. He has as much knowledge of immunology as Fauci does. Fauci's not an immunologist, and he just doesn't seem to know much about immunology compared to other people in his field, but he just, it was... He is science. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that that's the greatest threat right now in the United States, that this is sort of like the blues and the the greens at Byzantium, that bureaucracy took over uh, from Justinian until, you know, what happened. And it's like the El Escaral out the Spanish Empire outside of Madrid, that whole, you know, around Philip II and Charles V, that whole bureaucracy or Versailles, those 5,000 clerks that surrounded the Bourbon kings. And it's, it's a, or even, you know, the Kremlin, it's just a, a, right. a huge unelected group of uh, functionaries. And they hate people who are independent and self-supporting autonomous. And they need to be reined in because they're they're scary. They really are. By the way, making things even scarier, and I did not tell you I was going to bring this up. This is just an anecdote. And we've talked before, and you mentioned the military, these generals earlier. And we have 
talked before about the terrible rates of uh, military bringing in new recruits. But I was talking to a guy the other day who uh, was in the Air Force Reserve and has left and he was married. His wife was in the reserve and has left. He says, you know, the, the recruitment problem is just as bad as the retention problem happening. People just like, we're out of here. I'm sick of this being vilified, et cetera. So we're, we're being screwed by the bureaucrats. And then the goal of the nation is national security at, at its very core. Right. And we and we are we have a military that is in a really, really troubling way. So anyway, nobody, I, nobody, I, nobody. I mean, I hope that this new house has an investigation of what happened in Afghanistan, a billion dollar embassy given away a $300 million refit on the biggest Air Force base in Central Asia at Bagram thrown away. I don't know what the actual figure is. I hear 10 billion to 40 billion in weapons and assets thrown away or worse, put on the international arms market. Uh, complete destruction of deterrence that green lighted the Putin invasion of Ukraine. Everything, uh, 20 years of brave sacrifices by American soldiers thrown away just by the sheer humiliation of that retreat and Joe Biden was just exempt. And all of those people who just months earlier were doing two things, Jack, they were assuring us that the army and the military was capable, at least publicly they were, which is worse because they claimed privately they warned Biden, but that would be even worse that publicly they were telling us something that was the exact opposite of what they knew to be true. And then second, when you had the head of naval operations and you had Millie and Austin and they were just virtue signaling and performance arting their so-called uh, virtue and rooting out white rage and white privilege and white supremacy. And that's they were doing all of that. Why this war was being just was lost. And so what we we want them to do, they didn't do. And what we don't want them to do, they did. And I don't know how you go into the military and you break up that whole uh, huge capital investment. Uh, I don't know how you do it, because if you want to say we do not want subsidized transsexual surgeries or mm -hmm. we want the same standards for women in combat units as men, or we do not want promotions on the basis of qual uh, criteria other than proven efficacy in the battlefield. And how do we make you do that? Do we cut the budget? Well, you get the impression that they would cut uh, housing for families on the base before they get rid of the diversity czar. So right. it's hard. It's hard to know. You'd have to. You'd have to go through a line item to make them do it. And I'm speaking as somebody who always thought we should spend three to five percent of GDP at least on defense, especially uh, on you know a multiplicity of weapons rather than these very expensive few weapons. In other words, rather than building another $15 billion carrier, why not build, I don't know, a hundred drone cheap and flood the, the zone with it? That kind of thing. Right. And now I, 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 I can't do it anymore. I just don't think that when I, I don't think the Pentagon spends the money wisely. We're, we're $31 trillion in debt. This is not 1939 where they're being starved of money. And yet the more money you give them, the more money they spend it on the stuff that is just counterproductive and causing and is resulting in meeting, uh, not meeting their recruitment 
quotas for the year at um, you know a magnitude of what fifty percent, sixty percent is all they've got. They even have mm-hmm. applications at the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy are going down, and they never ever say why. They won't do it. They say, well, there's too many people that are obese. There's too many gang members. There's a male problem. They they're just they don't want to go out. Maybe, 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 but you in the military told it would just it would be just like the british army said to the gurkhas you guys are racist or the indian army said to the sikh community we think you're apostates in other words you would try to alienate the one demographic that was renowned for combat performance and that's what they did with the so-called white male from rural rural and south america the southern states of america upstate new york Rural Maine, Wyoming on a cow, uh, cowboy in Mount Wyoming or a kid that grew up in, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee. They, they told that group, we don't want you because you're suspected of racism. And they, right. it just drives me nuts what they did yeah. to those kids. And Stay home and they're die. Not gonna, they're not going to come back. They're not going to come back. They're not going to come back. I hear from them all the time. They're not going to start reenlisting or enlisting the first time. Unless there's a radical change in the Pentagon. Well, Victor, there's other kinds of uh, warfare, a war against our our civilization and our culture, and a lot of that is done by the left uh, through the uh, con- constant change of language and twisting new definitions to keep to keep us. What confused to backpedal, etc., and a bunch of this stuff has just come out in the last few days. We're going to get your thoughts on the uh, the left and language. We'll do that right after these important messages. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace, and Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
We're back with the Victor Davis Hansen show. Before uh, we get to the language issue, I would like to remind our listeners that victorhansen.com is a website you should be visiting regularly and also subscribing to because when you do subscribe, you will be able to read the ultra articles that Victor writes exclusively for his website. And uh, my gut is that the amount of material Victor writes exclusive for, uh, for VictorHanson.com probably uh, on an annual basis is is the equivalent of two books. I mean, it's a lot of material. It's all of it brilliant. It's not all about politics or policy. A lot of it is personal. It's just a great a, a breadth of material. And you can't re read it unless you subscribe. So it's $5 to uh, gain access, and it's reduced straight $50 a year. That's victorhanson.com. As for me, Jack Fowler, uh, I write Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email uh, newsletter for uh, the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. And I, I want to encourage you to subscribe. It, we're, we're just... I'm just writing something to share my thoughts on here's here's some great stuff I've read this most recent week. So there are links, excerpts, a bad joke. Um, we're not building a list. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to sell your name. Sign up at civilthoughts.com. And if you're on Facebook, by the way, I'd like to encourage you to visit or so check out or become a member of the Victor Davis Hanson fan club. It's it's not a formally affiliated with Victor, but run by a great group of people. And it's a treasure trove of uh, of Victor links. So uh, that's the Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson. I'll get your name right someday, Victor. The Victor Davis Hanson I Fan so. Club at Facebook. Yeah, I'm a, I still, I've mentioned this before the time I introduced you wrong in front of Sarah Palin. That was, oh my gosh, that was embarrassing. So, Victor, let me read a couple of headlines here and then quote one thing. Um Gosh, there's a smorgasbord of crapola that's come out in the last few weeks. One of them's north of the border. This is Canada. You know, the, the headline is, uh, where the hell? Canada's Girl Scouts will drop the name Brownie because the term offended some members. you got to be kidding me. Um, at USC, University of Southern California, the the term field will is now out of use. You can't say field. I'm going into the field. I'm, I'm getting my master's. I'm going to go in the field. Why? Uh, because in the field, what? It, it means cotton picking or something. It's racist. Don't you know that? They, um, the people who early, said that, have, I bet they haven't seen a field in their entire life. And I, I think the number of, if they think it's racist, African-Americans that work in the field is about 1% as it is to most demographics i feel bad i wrote a book called fields without dreams and you I racist told, you i was yeah. told by my grandfather i can remember victor you go out there in the north field victor you go out in the southwest field and irrigate for me and i thought oh my gosh he said field what a racist <laughs> and it, it's this orwellian idea it, it shows you two things number one that these people are stupid. They they look at what happened to Stanford University with its list, and it brought nothing but rebuke and shame on the great university by that crazy list of, you know, citizen and immigrant, American cannot be used. And then they come out and say, 
field. I was trying to, when you said field, I thought, wow, that, you know, that's not a Greek word. The Greek word for field is Cora, C-H-O-R-A in English transcription. And in Latin, it's agrum. That's an Anglo-Saxon word, field, and it, it's related to earth. And um, so it's nothing intrinsically racist about any of these words, except they you're telling me that they believe that because people that were slaves were asked to go as field hands and you can you cannot use it as field but i can say i'm going to go field a grounder if i'm on a baseball team or i'll field some questions that's okay but not if you use it as a noun a verb is okay you see what i'm getting at it's just it gets into this labyrinth of hypocrisy complexity contradiction paradox and it, it also shows you that they have not, nothing to do because uh, you would think that the people in the university are doing this as SAT scores increase, as students mm -hmm. graduate in four years rather than half graduating in six, as tuition and cost of room and board doesn't go up above the rate of inflation. And as the, the syllabi become more and more demanding, no, it's just the opposite. The worse they do turning out uh, educated people, the more they have time to do this. And then as Orwell warned, they think they can change reality by changing language. Right. That, that's what, that's so air crews for airmen or something. Then all of a sudden we think, wow, I feel good about myself. There's no more airmen. And it doesn't work that way. You only get self-confidence by your own achievement, not because somebody changes a word on your behalf, unless it's some kind of inflammatory word. And I don't think field is. And so what are these people? It, it gets back to our earlier conversation. They, they're socially engineering. They have some weird, vague idea that if, if they get to the final end of what they want, everybody's going to be regimented and they're going to be robotic, robotic and automatons and they're only going to speak in this particular language and live in this particular high rise and get there in this particular train and and not have a gas burn you know it's just total control over the person and uh, these people who do this are so disconnected from the word field they don't they're not muscular people you don't hear this coming from the guy that I drove, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, I drove 180 miles this morning, and I was on a windstorm rain on Pacheco Pass, and they're not the truck driver, you know, going around 60 miles an hour in a rainstorm, keeping that semi on the road. And then I drove by out on the west side on Manning with a, not that tractor driver going for nine hours back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's not what they do. If they did do that, they wouldn't act like this because they would understand how, what a thin margin of error we have for this complex society and how everybody has to be very careful not right. to tamper with farming and not to tamper with trucking and not to tamper with the police. Because when you start doing that, you rip off that thin veneer of civilization and that scab and that wound beneath is pretty ugly. And what that wound is, is what happened after George Floyd or what you see in the streets of San Francisco or looting the trains in Los Angeles or smash and grab or carjacking or Saturday night in Chicago. That's what it is. And that's, that's, that's anti-civilizational what they're doing. And 
it's 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 so typical that they have you know these compounds and this wealth and private jets and government perks if they're in government they and to insulate them from the logical consequences of their own advocacy well victor we were also it's it's not only the the uh academic uh types i've almost said eggheads because but that wouldn't have been nice of me uh, well egg, egg eggs are very expensive now so um but it's also our the 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 bureaucrats who you were just talking about so the the cdc which did such a wonderful job um with lockdowns would you think when the cdc was created that that the uh the congressman uh, who, who wrote the law thought that they'd be in that their their obligation would be to retool language because they put out earlier this week a vast list of, of we're not supposed to say the poor anymore. And common people, I mean, let's you can't talk about the poor. You have to talk about what the hell is the people yeah. experiencing poverty, people with self-reported but income who, in the who, lowest income see, bracket. What I want to know is ultimately who is doing, where is, I think our listeners want to know, what is the trigger for the madness? Who is it? Is it uh, the diversity race industry and its helpers and they uh, think this up and then they pressure these weak people in government or academia who would are afraid that if they don't, if they they end up like Jordan Peterson or something uh, or is that it? They're going to be ostracized. Jordan Peterson, best thing that ever happened to him. Uh, because he he showed what what happens when you resist it. But my point is, who, who are the people? Is it the Joy Reads of the world? Who, who are you? Who's so scary? They go after you. Is that it? Who is they? Why can't you say no? Not this pig. I'm not going to do it. What if everybody just got up one day and said, "Not going to do it"? Yeah. What if you turned on? The Golden Globe, Globe Awards, and you heard that crazy comedian said, "I'm only here because of you know white guilt," and you turned it off. What if you, I don't know, you just turned off Joy Reid, or what if you uh, just said, "I am not going to send my kid to Yale." There's no way right. in the world I'm going to do that. I want to find. I want. There has to be a university, St. Thomas Aquinas or Hillsdale's everywhere. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not did you I, I, times and just say no to them? And what power do they have? Yeah. What power do they have? Ultimately, I think there's the COVID. They need people. All these people that are telling everybody what to do. They need a guy to come and drop off the Amazon. They need a guy to come in right. and fix their drain. They need a guy to rewire their home. They need a guy to roof their house. If they don't have those people, they despise. They're nothing. Yeah. They're like drones in a beehive. And they don't, I don't know what, what purpose they serve if they can't get to the real world. So people have leverage over them and they can just start demanding of them that they stop it or they can, you know, Victor, in my little world of, and I work American philanthropic and there, there really is a, uh, you mentioned, you know, I'm not going to send my kid to Yale anymore. Well, K through 12, there is a huge growing movement out there of alternatives, not only, you know, homeschooling, but uh, the, the um, uh, Great Hearts or the Hillsdale program or the Chesterton schools. So it's a, it's very heartening that people are taking, finding and creating alternatives. In, in, no, I in agree. Their own hands. I, it's been I, I serve on the Bradley Foundation Board nonprofit 
And that's what we do. We fund traditional education, both parochial and charter schools. And there's they're popping up. You wouldn't believe it. They're just, as you know, in the Hillsdale Charter schools, they're just multiplying. Yeah, and we've and we've got Ralston College in Savannah. We've got the University. Well, well of yeah, I wanted to ask you though. Did you see this news about this uh, college, the new College of Florida? Yeah. The- yes, I saw that. <laughs> and there's really there's, there's about three things that are happening simultaneously. One is there's new universities uh, sprouting, like at the University of Austin or Ralston. The second thing is that they're is a growth in traditional St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, Hillsdale type places. And there is online education and there is an attempt not to cede these schools to the left, that the, that the left didn't build these schools. The people built them. And don't just give up on them. Go fight to get on their boards. Go fight to get uh, control back from these schools. And I think people can do it. I think if everything, I, I would like to say I'm 69. If I should live another 10 years and I look back, I'd like to say this was something like uh, the McCarthy frenzy. But there, I mean, there really were communists in, mm-hmm. in the State Department. But there's not, I mean, there's not all of these enemies of woke. They create, it's more like the Salem witch trials. It's this right. friend or the Jacobin frenzy from 1793 three to four it's more like that it's just a period of mass hysteria and insanity i think the catalyst was the lockdown the george floyd made people kind of and the fear of covid that all conspired to supercharge these existing pathologies but i have to i have to hope it's a self-limiting disease and that we can get through it and then we'll we'll rebuke it and laugh about it like hula hoops fat or something like how many how many goldfishes can you swallow how many people can get in a volkswagen right that kind of insanity and that's what it is it's trite it's stupid it's silly all of these words the only difference is that people have these these letters after their name phd ma and they don't mean anything anymore my god when i went to graduate school i there were all these Europeans, and the, and the chairman said to me, Mr. Hansen, you're 20, just turned 21. I said, yes. He said, there's four of you in this class, and half of you are going to flunk out. And I don't think the other two are going to get a job. But if you do stay in, and whether you got a job, I can guarantee you, you will have a classical education. And I said, what does that entail? And he went on, you know, you're going to have a, uh, you're going to take a Greek composition. You're going to take a Latin composition. You're going to take three hour exam in Greek. You're going to take three hour Latin, Greek literature, Latin literature, Roman history, Greek history, 12 seminars, manuscript tradition, comparative Greek and Latin philology, uh, a thesis, uh, composition requirement, uh, reading knowledge of French. And and I and if I had said to him, I don't think that's fair. I don't like that. I think that's racist. I think that's sexist. I think that's a construct of your privilege. They would have laughed. They just said, "Get out. We don't want right. you." Mm-hmm. Or if we said, "Oh, I can't do it," or "I'm stressed," but they would say, "Get out." Their whole purpose. And I'm not saying these were great individuals. I wrote a book 
critic critiquing the system, but their whole point was if you leave Stanford University and you leave with a PhD in classic, it's going to mean something. Right. We're not, we're not going to let you dishonor what we do. And we're going to have a brand that everybody may think that we're limited or narrow, but like Harvard in those days, we're going to train philologists. And our people, when they go out to get a job, will be able to read and write Latin, and they will be acquainted with the corpus of classical literature very intimately. And they will know something about epigraphy, numismatics, uh, inscriptions, uh, everything. And that, that's what they did. And it was kind of a, a strange thing because you didn't really get a job. But until you, you know, I farmed for six, five years full time, another right. 10 part time. But my point was they had a code and they set the rules and you, they didn't force you to do it. But this idea now that graduate students tell the professors what they can do and what they can't, or the student tells the professor, or they shout down a professor, or they don't come if you don't want to do it. Go start your own school. I did that in the 60s. They didn't like the education, so they called the free university. Remember those? No right. grades, no entrance requirement. They did it all over Europe. They did it here, too. Why don't you just go do that? Santa Cruz tried it. I was there at the, uh, I think I was there at the fourth year of the campus, fifth year. No grades, uh, co-ed dorms, no drug enforcement. And the only difference was the people that were they brought to do it were classically trained, so the faculty was excellent. But it only lasted about five years, and then it was filthy, dirty in the dorm, and everybody was stoned. <laughs> and, you know, I can remember a woman knocking on my door in 1971. I swear to God, Jack, she knocked in and said, I'm the health officer at Cal Health Center. I said, yes, what can I do for it? We have a new sexually transmitted disease on campus. Nobody's ever seen it before. Have you had a sexually transmitted disease? I said, no. And she said, do you know anybody that does? And I said, I don't ask that. But she said, <laughs> we don't know what it is, but it's called herpes. And it's something like the sore on your lip, only it's a genital. And it's very infectious. And it's caused by a virus that can be very dangerous. And, char and we want to find every single person on camp. Can you believe that? And it, bro it broke out at UC, one of the early, not, oh. the, not the first, but that was one of the early hot spots, and no one knew what it was. And there, right. in our dorm, there were about eight or nine people that had it. And they had warned you, you're going to have it for life. And it was sort of like a pre-AIDS paranoia or pre-COVID. But the point was, that was the logical manifestation if you looked what was going on at that campus. And the right. same thing with drug usage and suicide rates and uh, the pass-fail system. If people were not getting grades, they weren't turning in papers on time or they weren't coming to class. And so it didn't work. So finally, they had to recalibrate the campus and start giving grades and, and do a little bit of remedial, you know, and clean it up. But it was it doesn't work. It was anarchy. And. I got a very good education because I, I, I was in classics and there was nobody in classics. And then we had all these Yale and Harvard trained philologists and they taught me Greek and Latin as a, some kind of little nerd that took the, all of their classes. <laughs> and I was able to escape that. But my gosh, uh, it was an on tap gift because I go into this class and PhD Harvard book, PhD Yale book, 
PhD, mm. UC Berkeley, and there's like five people in Greek and Latin, and you get all this individual intention, and they were all classically trained, and it was like an island atoll of sanity and chaos. <laughs> oh, but there was, well, was. You, Victor was there when they, when they invented herpes. I like that. Hey, um... Well, I don't. I'm not <laughs> claiming that it wasn't there earlier or elsewhere. Right. I'm just saying that in 1971, in the fall, it had there was an epidemic of it, and they didn't know what it was entirely. Mm -hmm. But they came in to tell you that it was very scary. That's what they said, and they were trying to discourage sexual uh, promiscuity. Yeah. And I remember saying to the health officer, I came from a very conservative area. And what I saw in my co-ed dorm the first week, I had never, ever imagined existed. And I don't think your policies are going to work here. It's yeah. Not even in a one of Nero's parties, maybe. Or who had the bad part? Caligula. Caligula had the bad parties, right? I hey, always Victor, think that when I, I say something that's going to be inflammatory, but when I see yeah, people, I'm 60, 69, and when I see people that are kind of hippie left, you know, or very successful, but they're 70, 71, 72. Right. And I think back to that period. I can remember being at UC Santa Cruz in 1971 and going to the pool to swim for my nightly swim with my baggy, you know, and no one had a swimming suit on or people were fornicating in the shower or oh. stuff like that. And I think, where are those people now? I said at the time, my dad said that time, he dropped me yes. off and he said, oh, I think I've mentioned that to you. He said, oh my God, yeah. what the hell is going to happen when the, we turn the country over to these people? Yeah. And I said, uh, well, you know, he said, no, I'm serious. Where are they going to be? And I thought that I thought of him the other day because I was in Palo Alto yesterday and I saw some very at a restaurant. Very. I was listening. Saw some very left wing people. Aged hippies. Yeah. yeah. Very, you know, very Menlo Park type. And I thought, what were you doing there during that period? Hey. And, I, and how did you? And that had to be a life changing experience that for a lot of people that they never got over, whether it was the drugs or the sex or the yeah. rebellion. Um, I don't know, but it, it did a lot of damage to the United States. Yeah, still doing it. Well, Victor, we have time for one more uh, topic. And uh, uh, Carol uh, Markowitz, who is a um, great writer. And uh, she has a piece for Real Clear Politics. Actually, it's under Real Clear Books and Culture. And it's called, it's titled, uh, The New Jew, The Beginning of a Jewish Political Realignment. And uh, I sent it to you, and you're going to share some thoughts about this when we return after this important message. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, somebody sent this piece to me, and I read it. So, Carol moved from uh, New York to Florida. Um, she has married children. Pandemic was, this is crazy. I got to get my kids out of here, out of this you know, New York insanity. And Southern Florida uh, has a significant uh, Jewish population. You remember, you know, during 2000, certain Palm Beach or certain areas, like, how could all these Jews be voting for Pat Buchanan? Something's crazy here. You know, there was all this. Uh, or, or, Ron DeSantis. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and she was, she, look, people think in general terms about others, and even Carol, who's Jewish, thinks about what she was expecting of the Jewish community in uh, Southern Florida. And she was remarkably surprised and, and believes, wow, wow, um, American Jews are kind of changing politically once very reliable a liberal democrat uh, demographic seems to be and it seems to also be borne out by some some data from recent elections is uh moving right or maybe everything else is moving too left under their feet anyway victor do you have any thoughts about that yeah i think uh what were the reasons why i think uh norman porhoritz wrote extensively on why jews were left wing and a lot of it came out of the pogroms in Eastern Europe and their oppression that they faced uh, from the establishment governments, the so-called Gentiles. And then you add the persecution ongoing and they had natural empathies for other minorities uh, as well. And there had been a, in Jewish tradition, sort of a, a strong egalitarian ethos. And that pretty much, I think, from oh, I'm just taking an arbitrary from 1920 to the turn the millennium 2000 was pretty much the orthodox Jewish 80 percent uh, predictable political affinities and then and it was not like the Italian Americans Italian Americans to take example they came from Sicily and southern Italy for the most part two waves 1880 1890 and probably into the 20s kind of like the Irish as well earlier and then same time and they um, were persecuted and they were poor and you know they had problems uh, took three generations to fully assimilate and to be uh, obtain parity in terms of income etc and now as i said earlier if your name is uh, cuomo or uh, de blasio um, i can't say that. yeah whatever his name is de blasio or cuomo or uh, Giuliani, you can't determine by the name whether you're, um, same thing, uh, what your political affiliations are, same thing if your name is O'Reilly or Muldoon, you don't know what your affiliation is. I think that's going to happen if you're Bernstein or uh, Einstein or something, you're not going to know what your affiliation is now. I think Jewish, uh, the, the lockstep allegiance to the democratic left is starting to erode. It's still... Yeah, I think that she said, I think 
I had read, I don't know if it was this essay before, she thought 40% of the Jewish community in Florida voted for DeSantis or was Republican. I think and 45%, 41% had voted for Trump. So, yeah. So if the conditions have changed by which they were, that community is is liberal, then why are they becoming, what were the conditions that changed that made them conservative? One thing is uh, there is no more Jewish immigration to speak of, and they're suffering assimilation at an enormous rate. Uh, outmarriages and the communities that remain self-identifiable as Jewish tend to be more Hasidic or ultra-Orthodox tend to be more conservative anyway. And liberal Jews tend to not be as Orthodox and not as they don't self-identify. But there's other things I think very quickly that made them reconsider their uh, democratic fides. One, of course, is if you look at statistics in New York City, but also a country, they are the minority that is the most disproportionately targeted for hate crimes. Right. And if you look at the two uh, constituencies that are most overrepresented uh, inflicting those hate crimes that are reported, it's the African-American and Islamic communities. And so I think and those are the basis of left wing orthodoxy today in contemporary American politics. So if you're a Jewish student and you're you think you're a, a, a good Biden Obama person and you go to Stanford University, what do you think when there's these posters that say, be gone, Ben Shapiro, with a raid can to deliberately evoke Holocaust imagery of gas and Jews and nobody in the administration cares much about it? Or you hear at Berkeley at the free speech, this ultra anti-Semitic stuff or you the, the student council goes after Jews or nobody wants to have a Jewish roommate, things like that, if they're a person of color in some cases. So I think they're starting to see that the old anti-Semitic right is mostly inert. I mean, oh, there's this guy, Fuentes and all those crazy people, but they're inert. The real dynamic is the Ilian Omar AOC young person, uh, oppressed, victimized group that doesn't like American Jews. And one of the reasons, of course, is Israel. And so a lot of people are saying, you know what, if if Iran gets the bomb, they're going to try to wipe out Israel. And these people would not bat an eye in America, these anti-Semites on the left. And they're right about that. So I think that they, they look at the left, yeah. what the Democratic Party has become, and they say, wow, it's just kind of institutionalized that you can make fun of Israel all and lie about Israel and lie about Israel. And you can be openly anti-Semitic and there's no consequences. And I think a lot of Jewish professors understand that if they're, if they're candid. And so I think that's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I think most, the majority of people who identify as Jewish are going to vote Republican. They're about 3% of the population, so they're not um, a big constituency demographically, but they're overrepresented in terms of writers, uh, political activists, donors, so they're very influential in that sense. So it could make a big difference. Uh, I yeah. think it will. I think it will make a difference because uh, once I think once it catches on that people finally can come, if you're a Democrat for six generations, and then you finally wake up one morning and you say to yourself, these people hate 
who I am and they hate what I represent and are not shy about expressing it, then you're you're going to switch in a minute. You're going to flip. And that once you flip, then it becomes kind of like David Horowitz. You go complete. You just, you know what I mean? You're really adamantly flipped. Right. With the zeal of, a, of an apostate and a convert. And I think that's what's going to happen to a lot. It's happening as we speak. It's happening to a lot of different people. Uh, Mexican-American people I know, when they flip, they become very, very conservative, very conservative. Yeah. And they're about uh, 40, 40, 45 percent now. Shut, yeah, the border, well, I mean, shut the border down and they'd be 70 percent in 10 years. Yeah, I think um, as you kind of, uh, well, your point in part was when you when you you're hated. I mean, the flipping comes when I'm flipping in part because you you hate me like that's that really locks you in. You know, the next constituency is going to flip. I can feel it already is your independent left, uh, independent center left, democratic suburban uh, household that was strongly hated Trump, felt he was vulgar, probably defected or voted. We know that from the independent vote in 2020 and to a lesser extent in 2022, but they're going to start to see something that they're hated because um, when you are great universities and you're letting in, I think Yale let in 50, 48% white, or Stanford 23%, and you deliberately target that demographic, and you say, we don't want you. And then you hear every single day, white supremacy, white privilege, white privilege, white supremacy, and your toxic legacy, and you've done this, and you've done this. And then this this constituency said, well, wait a minute. I didn't grow up very wealthy. I worked like a dog in graduate school, or I, I work two jobs and I'm not ashamed of how successful I think they're going to, I think they're already starting to flip because you can't keep cons- consulting collectively a, a whole demographic. And right. that's why African Americans were understandably voted democratic because the democratic, uh, party parted ways, uh, probably in the 60s with the Southern Democrats. And so JFK and everybody, he was timid, but finally LBJ and those people broke with him. And they felt that they were more uh, conducive to civil rights than the Republicans, even though a lot of Republicans were much more supportive of civil rights than the Southern Democrats, but nevertheless. And the same thing with the the Latino community, but I don't think that's true anymore. I think they're going to flip. So I am confident about this because everybody wants to have a gas stove, Jack. Everybody wants to say the word field. Everybody (laughs) knows that a guy can lift more weights than a woman. Everybody knows if you have testicles and a penis and you have a male body and you're competing in female storage, you're robbing women of years of training and work and stealing, stealing their honors. Everybody knows that. Yeah. You know, it's funny, not funny, but you mentioned about the, the you know, the suburban liberals and where I live in uh, Milford, Connecticut, is uh, abutting the what we call the Gold Coast, Fairfield County. Very, very wealthy. Well, actually, one of the wealthier zip codes, collection of zip codes in America. And my next door neighbor taught at two high schools. One was a, a bad high school in the town, quote, unquote, bad in um, Stanford, Connecticut. And then she taught at a high school later in 
Westport, which is a very Tony community. And in in uh, her experience in in Stamford was at the at the the poor school, you know, that's what it was. Uh, no interest in parents, but from parents, no interest, zero. After she transferred to uh, town of Westport and gave a kid a B, the parents would come in with a lawyer. And, and my kid's not going to get this high school. My kid, well, you're harming my kid. He's not going to get into to Yale or Harvard. So, I mean, it's an anecdote, but that the the thought that that's part of the continuum that we're gonna we we live where we live. We go to these schools, and the, and the the payoff is going to be that they're going to go to one of those. No, schools. it's not so, there anymore. No, yeah. and it's not just. I'm just picking out Stanford and Yale. It's not. It's Oberlin. It's Brown. It's Wellesley. It's all of them. And they had a stamp, a cattle brand, and they told America, you put your kid at SAT camp at three and you groom them and you make them study and you make them go on the lacrosse team and you have a year abroad and, you know, their junior year in AFS or something, or they volunteered to build a well in Kenya or they right. got to take every AP and you get a two and you want them to be a cattle brand with a big H for Harvard on their rear end, or maybe it didn't matter, just so Duke, or and then they can get into law school, and then they are set, and they're part of the nomenclatura, and they're successful, and they work hard. They do work hard, but you take that, and then they, they say to these kids, either whether covertly or overtly or implicitly or explicitly, they say to them, when you go there, you're going to meet people. And these are the people you want to marry because they are of your class and you're going to make networks. You're going to you'll you're going to be a roommate of the next Mark Zuckerberg. Or are you going to bump into Bill Gates in a class and a future Bill Gates or and they're going to hire you and you get to know them and that kind of networking. OK, you tell that hyper achieving rubric. You're going to go through all that. You're going to pay all that money for, and you're not going to get in because you represent the old boy network. And that's right. privilege, 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 privilege. And so even if you did get in, you're going to be in a tiny minority and there's not going to be the networking draw for you. And the classes are, are not going to be competitive and the standards are not going to be what is you're used to. And they're going to react to that. I don't know how they're going to react. I think. Because I talk to a lot of them. Some of them are sending, as I said, different schools, uh, big schools, University of Michigan, University of Texas. They like places like that that are kind of anonymous and that, that they can't fixate on a student. Right. But I think yeah. there's going to be a reaction. And I think these universities are in their death. They have no idea. They just took a 45 to their temple and pulled the trigger. They really don't. They're so insular and self-righteous and sanctimonious that they just went down with this white supremacy, white man. And, and the people who were doing it were mostly protected, hypocritical white elites. And they never said to themselves, I'm the white provost, I'm the white president, I'm the white dean, and I'm surrounding myself by people of color, and I'm protected, and I'm going to just worry about, and I'm going to take it out on the white working class. And that, that was okay. That was your proportional representation, admission hiring. But now it's repertory, and they to get repertory, Above the demographics of the marginalized communities, you have to go after the super achiever and the blessed and the anointed. And when you start doing that, you're going to get a pushback. 
And I, I can feel it at, at Stanford University. I can already feel it. And, and there's a lot of people who graduated from that university and they're all mostly left wing and they look at, uh, they interview graduates that are coming out of there and they look at the curriculum and they talk to faculty and mm-hmm. they know their nieces and grandkids and children can't get in. And they're starting to say to themselves, why am I supporting this place? Right. And these are not conservatives. And I, yeah. so I don't know if I said, if I was a Harvard or Yale or Stanford dean and I had these multi-billion dollar endowments and I said to myself, how would I destroy this university? Hmm. Well, I would start changing language to get attention. I would post that, uh, I'm letting the, uh, white community in at, uh, about one third of their rep- population in the general the percentage of the general population. I would be very, I'd allow rampant anti-Semitism. I would forbid free speech. I would not give due process if you're accused of uh, harassment by an anonymous ac- accuser. I would get this woke uh, environment all over campus. And I would have, I would really offend conservative politicians. These would be nexuses where I would harvest votes. I'd get out the votes. So every student, et cetera, my law schools would be political. They would be trying to change voting and I would offend the Republican party. And so what they're doing is they're setting up the stage for a lot. If the Republicans take control of the house or the presidency in two years, you wait, there's going to be a huge move to tax the endowments and to cut federal funding for programs at the university that don't allow free speech or they discriminate on the basis of race. If the Supreme Court comes down and rejects affirmative action and these universities, as they will do, as they always do, they did it with Prop 209 Cal, they'll try to evade it and lie right. about that and use the bureaucracy to to make a mockery of the law. But if the Republicans are in Congress, they will cut funding for anybody uh, that is contrary to the Supreme Court ruling. And they don't understand the ill will that they have gained from the conservative political establishment. And they're, they're going to be on loose. They're going to go after these universities. And yeah. there are big, fat targets for these huge endowments that they do not pay the taxpayer money on the interest they accrue. It's right. nonprofits, and they're the last thing from apolitical. They're so partisan. They're oh. a, every single idea in the 2020 uh, election to change the nature of how we vote came out of a university campus, and so everybody knows that. Yeah. And then they're and then they're going to go back and they're going to say, "Well, support us, alumni." The right political party is going after, and they're going to say, "No, no." Yeah. You, you humiliated me. You took my money. You said that I was a white supremacist. You didn't let my grandkid in. He earned. He worked his entire life. You were racist. You used race to punish him. He didn't do anything wrong. I'm done with you. It's- yeah, Victor, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, you, you and I are both very enmeshed in the world of philanthropy and foundations and the like. But at some point, too, when you have a, uh, a Harvard with a, over $30 billion, um, how is me giving a donation to that advancing 
the reason you have a tax deduction is that, okay, we're not going to tax you, Jack Fowler, because you just gave money to that's going to help do something to solve a social matter or problem, et cetera, uh, that government would have had to have done otherwise. Well, you know, at a certain point, giving m money to bloated uh, universities no, it's, it's counterproductive. Is, All you're doing yeah. is just imagine that there's a fire and you've got a hose and you're shooting gasoline into it. Because that's what you're doing by giving these universities money, because they will use it for exactly the opposite of donor intent. It's just going to make you shouldn't give any money to them unless you know there's a program that honors donor intent. Right. And, and there there are some, but the universities don't like those at all. Well, right, because you don't really give them the money. You give it to them. It's like fun, I'll give you a chance yes, uh, this and it's year and next year. It's yeah. fungible. And yeah. then the other th final thing is, what's the trigger that starts it off? What is the trigger that starts it off, this this explosion of these universities? It's when people at Goldman Sachs or people at Facebook or people at Uber, they start interviewing these people at the executive level, and they have these degrees, and they look at the curriculum. They, I mean, they look at the resume. They see Stanford, Berkeley. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and yet when they see the candidate and they ask them questions or they they evaluate their verbal skills, they know that they did not take the coursework in computation or mathematics or engineering or humanities or English or, or history. They don't, they're not very well educated and they equate that with a degree. And once that starts happening, and it's already starting now, that I know that when I talk to a recent graduate from Stanford, it means nothing to me because I know the person was almost illiterate. And that's going to happen across the board unless yes. they, they, they really go back to an older curriculum and standards and grading. But to do that now, given that they've destroyed all their standards and criteria for admissions, you would have a riot. If you told, how can you say to everybody, 70, uh, 67, oh, excuse me, 70, if you're 23, 77% of the campus will not be white. We can assure you, and we can assure you we're not, most of them didn't have to take the SAT, okay. And we can assure you that they're going to do the same level of work that was true five years ago, where the median SAT score of entering freshmen was 750, 780, and 4.4 from competitive high school. You can't. So you're going to have to adjust. And when you adjust, that's going to reflect the quality of your graduate. Right. You're, not, you're not helping the person that you think you're helping. You're only you're going to put them in a position where they're not going to be able to compete at a particular level unless you change the rules. And the rules will be changed because they will be called racist or, you know, the whole mm -hmm. vocabulary of, dispar of disparagement and demagoguery. So I don't I don't see how they're going to get out of it. And maybe they're, you know, uh, after me, the deluge, maybe they think, you know what? I'm a provost. I make four hundred thousand dollars. I'm a college president. I'm a right. white guy. I, I don't care. I'll just do this. And so nobody will march in my office. They won't fire me. I won't be a target of the woke mob. I retire with my 401k of 10 million. I've had a good life. Screw the rest of the people. That's their problem. Maybe it's right. that attitude. I can't. I can't think of any other reason why oh, they would. 
self-destruct like that. Sounds pretty plausible uh, to me. All right. Well, Victor, that's about all the time we have, except that we will thank our listeners for for listening, no matter what platform, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, Hey, thanks Uh, to those who listen on Apple or Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Thank you also. And of course, you know, you can rate this show zero to five stars and victor has a well over 4.9 percent rating average from several thousand people who've done such thank you very much many people leave comments we read them and here's one uh, from uh zafneon titled don't miss out on vdh guidance like victor's goes such a long way. It would do the world a tremendous good for people to subscribe, to listen, and to read. Please, Victor, keep sharing your thoughts. You're truly an asset, a benefit, and a blessing. Thanks again. I want Mrs. Hansen would agree with that, that you're a blessing. I hope so. I, I do. <laughs> hey, Victor, you've been terrific. Uh, uh, today, is record, we've recorded two shows today. Thank you for all the wisdom you shared. Uh, I hope, uh, hope the rain's let up a little bit for it's you. pouring as i'm speaking uh well all right well take a take a picture um uh, as unfortunately as you as we've discussed many a time the water retention uh has not been carried out by your uh, elected officials there but anyway that said victor thanks so much thank you folks for listening and we will be back soon with another episode of the victor davis hansen show thank you for again for listening everyone